Hi, I'm Robin Black and this is Robin Thinks and today we're going to talk about chapter three of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which Joshua calls the seven habits of highly defective dating. He starts off with an analogy of going grocery shopping and ironically he uses the same analogy I used last week which is that of not going grocery shopping when you're hungry. Uh, you tend to make very poor nutritional choices. It's not a good idea to date from a position of severe or extreme need. Same thing. You end up making a lot of very poor relational choices. And then his second one is always make sure to pick a good cart. And he says, I'm going to read from the book now. He says, by far the worst kind of, of cart you could pick is the swerver. This kind of cart has a mind of its own. You want to go in a straight line, but the cart wants to swerve to the left and take out the cat food display. The shopper who has chosen a swerving cart can have no peace. Every maneuver from turning down the cereal aisle to gliding alongside the meat section becomes a battle. The shoppers will pit it against the carts. Why am I talking to you about shopping carts when this book is about relationships? Because many times I've experienced a similar battle of wills with dating. I'm not talking about conflicts between me and the girls I've dated. I'm talking about the struggle I've had with the whole system. And based on my experiences and my exploration of God's word, I've concluded that for Christians, typical dating can often be a swerver, an approach to relationships that wants to go in a different direction than the one God has for us. Okay, one of the, the things that I find problematic about a lot of Christian books on dating, what you have to understand is when, when Jesus went and taught one of the things that you'll notice is he deals with a lot of different people from a lot of different religious backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, faith, and somehow he had something to say to all of them. He talked to religious leaders. He talked to what we would call prostitutes. One of the things you have to keep in mind about that is there's a lot of controversy over was, was Mary the Magdalene a prostitute or not? <laughs> It, in the first, there was no such thing in the first century as a single woman. You had you were you had wives and you had prostitutes. Period. So prostitutes were not they weren't necessarily women that were sleeping with men for money. They just they weren't married. They were women who were not married. You you didn't have a concept of single women. There was no such thing. In a lot of ways, you could it would be fair to say that you know Jesus kind of introduced that concept. Because he gave legitimacy to women who were not married. This is why women were so shocked uh, and appreciative of Jesus. Because he didn't differentiate between women who were and were not married. He treated women like women, period. And he treated women the same as he treated men. He treated them with dignity and respect. So I'm sure you're aware in Christianity, uh, there's always a lot of... Um, <laughs> the single people are separated from the married people because they teach single people differently than married people. It's the principles of relationship are the principles of relationship and the are the principles of relationship, period. So what is the purpose of relationship? If you go to church, they'll tell you the purpose of relationship, of course, is to get married and have babies. This is why this is such a foundational principle in churches. You grow up, you get married, you have babies, period. They don't have a paradigm for someone growing up and choosing to not get married let alone 
two people of the same sex or gender that decide to be married. They can't wrap their head around it. And this, and a woman has to marry a man. The reason a woman has to marry a man is specifically because of this dynamic they've created of the Bible does actually talk about a wife, one individual woman submitting to her individual husband. The Bible does actually talk about that. I'm not going to go off into what that actually means today. I don't think it means what we've been taught that it means. Uh, I think it is a very wise concept. I think it is a wise principle when you understand what it means and what it does not mean. And it does not mean what I believe most churches teach that it means. But it does talk about one woman being submissive to one man. But the problem is churches teach that women are to be submissive to men, plural. So the way in which they enforce this is all the women have to be married. Because if women are married, then they are subject to the authority of their husband. And then husbands are subject to the authority of the church. So if all the women are married, then the church has authority over all of the married couples, including the women, especially the women. This, it's a, it's a means and a methodology of controlling women, which is why there is no room in the church for a single woman, because a single woman isn't under anyone's authority and churches can't deal with that paradigm. You also can't have, you can't have gay couples and you can't have lesbian couples because in lesbian couples, there's no man to have authority. And in gay couples, uh, you don't have children because that's kind of the second part of it is that women have to have children. Why do women have to have so many children? Because if women are having children, then they can't go out and be doctors and lawyers and scientists and, and priests and pastors and rabbis and et cetera, et cetera. They're busy raising children. There is very much a design to this. And this is why deconstruction is so important because there's all these underlying concepts and principles that we don't talk about but they're there. We are indoctrinated into them, whether we know it or not. We are all indoctrinated into this relentlessly singular outcome. You grow up, you get married, you, ha you have children. Uh, men go to work, women stay home and raise children. So men go out and create laws, study the Bible and study science. And so men make all the rules, basically. Uh, and, and keeping women pregnant is how they ensure this goes on. So I personally do not believe that that is the purpose of relationships. Churches will relentlessly teach that the purpose of relationships is to, you get married, you have children, you get married, you have children, you get married, you have children, period, end of story. And there is a, there is a reason why that one singular narrative is, is pushed so strongly in churches. It keeps women pregnant and tied down with children and leaves men free to rule the world. I don't believe that is the purpose that God intended for relationships. What makes healthy dating relationships are the exact same things that make healthy marriage relationships. The only difference between marriage and any other relationship is that marriage is the one relationship that is designated to be for life till death do us part right 
it doesn't mean that everyone is supposed to get married. The Bible actually talks about how it is better to be single. And the reason that it is better to be single is if you are single, all of your time, your energy is yours to devote to pursuing some type of purpose. You you can be a freelancer and travel around the world. Just The only thing you have to provide for is your own, your personal individual needs are. If you get married, there's a very good chance that you'll have kids. It's not an automatic. It's not a given. There's lots of people that get married and don't want to have kids, and that's fine. It's it's not a... In churches, there is one paradigm. A man marries a woman. You have children. Period. End of story. Biblically speaking, however, and, and as I believe God intended and, and, and as Jesus was the example of, there are a million different paradigms. So... The purpose, in my opinion, of relationships is they help us grow. And what he identifies here, even though he says, I don't have a problem with the other person, I'm not comparing the person to the cart, I'm comparing the system of dating, it's actually not true. This, is, this really is a, is a pretty accurate representation of dating and relationships in, in general. And this is why relationships help us grow, is because relationships, um, when, when you're single, when you're by yourself, uh, you say, I want to go left, you go left. If you, there's something over to your right that you want to go invest, you go right. You don't have to compromise with someone. You don't have to take someone else's needs into consideration. When you are in a relationship, those are all things you have to do. This is why relationships help us grow. And there's nothing wrong with being single. There's nothing wrong with being, a, in, being in a relationship. They both have value but they both come at a cost. Um, anybody that's had roommates knows there's a huge benefit to having a roommate, right? Because a, like a two-bedroom apartment isn't necessarily that much more expensive than a one-bedroom apartment. But if you have two people and you split the rent, you can actually live a lot more inexpensively if you live with someone else. You split all your bills. Your, your cable is cheaper because you split the cost with someone else. So there's benefits to having a roommate. There's also a lot of drawbacks to having a roommate, right? Because uh, they listen to music that you don't like. Uh, if you have leftovers, there's a very good chance they won't be there when you go get in the refrigerator. Um, roommates do things like, you know, they, they may have a different level of cleanliness than you have. So they may be quite a bit more slobbish than you're comfortable with. So there are perks to living alone. There are cons to living alone. There are pros to having a roommate. There are cons to having a roommate. This is the same thing with dating or not dating or being married or not being married. It, there's no better or worse. There, there's, there's pros and cons. They all come with costs. They all come with benefits. Um, but if you're going to be in a relationship, the point of, is it can, it's no longer all about you. You have to compromise. You don't get just get to go where you want to go, when you want to go, do what you want to do. You, you have to talk to another person. You have to communicate with another person. You have to make arrangements with another person. This is, this is the cost of relationships. And that, that's what a lot of people don't take into account. Um, they don't look at relationships as having a cost and a benefit. Some things are going to change if you want to be in a relationship. Um, then he goes on and he says, as we saw in the first two chapters, dating in and of itself isn't the cause of problems we see in relationships. Sinful and selfish people are the cause of sinful and selfish relationships. Okay, okay. 
I would disagree with that. I mean, I would agree and disagree. But it's, but it's going back to exactly what I just talked about. We all, at least to some degree, we're all kind of inherently selfish, right? We like what we like. We don't like what we don't like. We want to go where we want to go. We want to do what we want to do. But we also have a desire for companionship. So what happens is you get people that want to take more than they give. Our relational challenges come because we are all inherently uh, kind of sinful and selfish. We want what we want, but we also want companionship, but we don't want to actually pay the price of companionship. Sort of going back to chapter one when Josh was talking about his relationship with Kelly, right? He said Kelly knew him better than anyone else. Like, you know, after his parents went to bed, they would spend all night on the phone. So, this is his investment in relationship. But then he comes to the conclusion that, oh, this relationship is taking up too much of my time. When you kind of look at his attitudes towards relationship, and, and, and they're very common. Uh, Joshua is, he's by far not alone in completely misunderstanding the purpose of relationship, the point of relationship, and, and what makes a good relationship. I don't mean to be cruel, but it's not too hard to figure out why his marriage fell apart. If he still had these same attitudes in marriage, and it's pretty likely that he did, it's pretty easy to see why his marriage fell apart. And it should be easy to see why so many marriages fall apart, especially when you recognize this was written by a man, a young man, a boy. And so these are his ideals around what is a relationship? What is it for? Um, you know, his whole premise is you just, you have to keep yourself pure until marriage. And so dating is a bad idea because dating jeopardizes your purity, right? If you date, you, you have this tendency to become physically and emotionally attached to someone that you might not end up marrying. And so if you date, there's a much higher likelihood of you, quote unquote, losing your purity, i.e. having sex. If you date someone, it increases the likelihood of you having sex. So if the goal is you have to maintain your purity until marriage, then dating jeopardizes your purity. So we just don't date. On the other hand, if, as I talked about in chapter one, if you look at dating as relationship practice that actually prepares you for this theoretically lifelong relationship, then dating has value. And dating is, is something that we should actually um, engage in. Okay, so Josh goes on to tell a story that his youth minister told about a young couple named Ben and Lisa. And he says that Ben and Lisa were two strong Christians who had actively participated in his youth group years earlier. Ben and Lisa's dating relationship had started out innocently Friday nights at the movies and rounds of putt-putt golf. But as time went by, their physical relationship slowly began to accelerate and they ended up sleeping together. Soon afterward, they broke up, discouraged and hurt. The pastor saw both of them years later at a high school reunion. Lisa was now married and had a child. Ben was still single, but both came to him separately and expressed emotional trauma and guilt over past memories. When I see him, I remember it all so vividly, Lisa cried. 
Ben expressed similar feelings. When I see her, the hurt comes back, he told his former youth pastor. The wounds still haven't healed. When the youth minister had finished telling this story, you could have heard a pin drop. We all sat waiting for some sort of resolution. We knew the reality of the story, he told. Some of us had made the same mistake or watched it happen in the lives of our friends. We wanted something better. We wanted the pastor to tell us what to do instead. But he gave no alternative that afternoon. Evidently, the pastor thought the couple's only mistake was giving in to temptation. He seemed to think that Ben and Lisa only needed to have more respect for each other and more self-control. Although this pastor encouraged a different outcome, saving sex for marriage, he didn't offer a different practice. Okay, let's talk about this. So you have this young couple, Ben and Lisa. Obviously, they go to church, so which means that obviously they're being constantly hammered up with this message of no sex until marriage, no sex until marriage, no sex until marriage, right? So here they go, they have sex, and what happens? More than likely, they are buried under an avalanche of shame, okay? So Ben and Lisa break up, and why do they break up? They probably broke up because they had sex, and because now they think that there are these horrible human beings going to hell, whatever. You know, years later, they come back and they're like, they, they have all this guilt and shame. I don't necessarily think they have all this guilt and shame. Let's talk about this. This is one of the problems with putting all of the ideas and ideals about dating, marriage, and relationships in the hands of men. One of the things that we know about women now, what science is telling us about women, is that women have like a little DNA lab in their noses and like in their, uh, in your mouth, basically, okay? So what happens is, um, and I think most women have experienced this, you meet this guy and he just, he smells amazing. He smells so good. Um, we've all kind of seen like in movies and things like that, and, and we've probably done it too. Um, when you, when you really love somebody and they're not there, we sometimes like we, we, we wear their shirt or we sleep in their shirt because it smells like them because people that we are deeply, strongly attracted to, it's, it's not just, um, emotional or intellectual. We are literally physically attracted to them. And that has to do with the fact that we are genetically compatible with them. We have an even stronger little sort of DNA lab in our mouth. And what happens is when you kiss someone, you're actually picking up particles of their DNA and your body analyze, like immediately, it's like an, a rapid test. It immediately analyzes their DNA. If you ever kiss somebody, if you ever were, like met somebody and you really like them and everything's going good and then you kiss them and it just falls flat. That is your body telling you this is not a good genetic match. There is so much that goes into attraction and who we are attracted to and who we are not attracted to. And you cannot manufacture this. And what happens is you get men saying, this is the guy you want to, you know, you want to look for this guy. You want to look for these traits. You want to look for these qualities. You want to look for these attributes. And that's not necessarily inherently bad, but the reality is you can find that guy and you, you have absolutely no attraction to him. This is one of the big problems with like arranged marriages or, um, people that get married, uh, 
because their friends are doing it or because religion relentlessly pushes people into this. So what the scenario that I see potentially happening here with Ben and Lisa is that Ben and Lisa might have been massively compatible like compatible on all levels and it and it kind of makes sense because they're raised in a religious culture and environment you know you're not supposed to have sex they have sex anyway obviously they have that level of compatibility but you know when you meet people in high school you also have a very very high level of compatibility with them because you come from you come from the same culture you come from the same background you have a very strong um, basis of similarity and yet you also have sort of like that opposition you kind of have all of the pieces for really good strong healthy relationships and yet what happens we say oh no you're too young you have to go to college um, one of the things to keep in mind is that historically 15 16 17 18 year olds were were fully grown adults like in many cases uh, 16 17 18 year olds might have two or three kids so this idea of waiting to go to college and get a job or have a career before you start even looking for a mate this is this is very this is very new this is sort of a modern twist it's not like biologically speaking how human beings have done this for thousands of years now just imagine this let's say that uh ben and lisa didn't have all of this shame and guilt over uh, having sex how how might that story have had a very different outcome if they're still experiencing this like regret years later I don't think that's regret over just having sex I think it's regret over they had huge compatibility and there's a very good chance you know Lisa's married but she's still having all these this like regret she might have married a man that she's not nearly as compatible with or nearly as attracted to as she was to Ben. So what very likely happened is they had they had this this incredibly strong attraction. They had all of the the foundational um, building blocks that go into a, like creating a really, really, really strong relationship. But they have all this shame because they did a very normal, natural thing and had sex. And they end up breaking up and then they have regret for years after that. So so what if they didn't experience all of the shame over sex? What if they actually realized we have something really strong and really powerful here um, that, that maybe could have even carried them through college? So they might have, um, you know, still stayed in stayed in they might have gone to the same college they might have gone to colleges that are that were relatively close to each other and, and they might have ended up married Th this is the danger of this this one size fits all sex is bad um if you have sex outside of marriage uh your purity's gone you're ruined now blah 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 so he i want to get started on his uh seven principles of defective dating so his first his first principle is dating tends to skip the friendship stage of a relationship. This is something that I actually really agree with. Science will tell us that friendships actually make the best like long-term relationships. The people that the people that were compatible with sort of outside of bed. And that makes a lot of sense because as I talked about last week, if you only spent 10% of your time having sex 
you would have sex for close to 17 hours a week. That's just 10% of your time. If you have sex 1% of your time, that still is close to two hours a week. There's a really high likelihood that that by far the vast majority of couples, especially long-term couples, don't even have that much sex. So, so sex only <laughs> accounts for one percent of your time of your life of your time so what do you what do you really think is more important the 99 percent or the one percent and the truth is that the more compatible you are the 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 deeper and the stronger your friendship is the more likely you are to have a good healthy sex life because if you're friends there's a very good chance you have intimacy you have good intimacy you you've seen sort of like deep into each other's souls so i actually agree with this i am really not a big fan of i think there are principles and concepts that are wise i think there are things that are overall generally unwise but everyone has a different circumstance so i'm talking like general like good and bad principles that's all I'm not a big fan of the way in which we date, which is, you know, we do the like Tinder or the, you know, the dating profiles. And then we find somebody that we're interested in. And then immediately we go out and we isolate. Like we have a a date all by ourselves. First of all, especially for women, that's, I mean, it's kind of dangerous. Dating is just dangerous. It just is. So I'm a much bigger fan of, the group date and the group getting to know a person within the dynamics of a group. And I mean, it just, it makes things so much less awkward to begin with because I think everyone's had these experiences of you show up for this date and they have nothing to say. Like you just sit there, you have to carry a whole conversation sort of all by yourself and you run out of things to say. We've had, we have so many awkward, awkward, awkward experiences dating. I I don't, I don't even, I'm not sure why we do it. I've spent very little of my life dating. There was a, a period in my life where I felt like it was really healthy for me. It was something that I needed to do. I'm really glad I did. It was completely disastrous, but I also understand why it was a really good and healthy thing for me to do but oh I mean just overall dating is pretty disastrous and I think we just it's I think we do it poorly and I think this this is absolutely spot on um I think there's a lot of gold in this chapter and that's why I don't think it's a good idea to just throw the the book out wholesale so I think that yes the best relationship for all relationships really they should start off as Friendships, the first thing that we should do if we meet somebody that we're like, oh, I kind of like this guy. The very first thing we should do is not jump into bed with them, but start building a friendship with them. I can say for me personally, when I meet someone that I really, really like a lot, the very first thing that happens is they go in the friend zone. But there's a couple things that I'm looking for when they go in the friend zone. And one of the big ones is who else is in their life? There are so many women and girls that they meet this guy, they sleep with this guy, they're dating this guy, and they're really starting to kind of fall in love with this guy. And then they find out, oh, he's actually dating three, four, five 
six other people and it's really ugly and it's really messy I don't want to be in that situation. I am very interested in a person's character. You know, having looked at a lot of relationships and how American men and women, like young people, engage in relationships, I just, I don't think we do it right. And I don't think we do it well. And I think this is a big part of it, is that he's spot on. We don't invest enough in friendship before we start like moving into romance um and so his second point which ties into this is dating often mistakes a physical relationship for love see that's exactly true love is not a feeling love is an action love is not um those those mushy gushy feelings that you get um that's infatuation all love starts with infatuation infatuation is awesome we love infatuation because infatuation is a lot of neurochemicals it's basically like being on drugs that's what there there are actually people that are um they call them love addicts and they're addicted to those initial chemicals that your body produces when you first meet someone psychologists will tell you that the first nine months that you start having a physical relationship with someone you do not want to make any major life decisions because this thing that we call love which is not love it's infatuation but infatuation and particularly when you introduce um the physical element into it everything is wonderful everything is beautiful this person is the greatest thing that has ever lived that has ever walked that has ever talked there's nothing wrong with this this is something we all go through but it's almost like uh it's like a mental health issue like you're not in your right mind it is a really bad place to be making like life altering decisions so I would agree number one we don't take the time to really set and develop this really good friendship before we go and and introduce a physical element into it okay Number three, dating often isolates a couple from other vital relationships. This is actually really true. What happens to too many people is they start dating and they date somebody like all by themselves, right? And especially if you introduce that physical element in early, what ends up happening is there can be a lot of red flags that you're going to completely miss because you're all gooey gushy you have all of your uh, infatuation hormones running, coursing through your system. And so everything that would be a red flag to all of your friends, we, we miss them because all of our infatuation hormones are blinding us to the truth of who this person is. This is another reason why it, it would be a really good idea to plant your relationships in the garden of your friendships going out and trying to date when you are relationally needy is a really bad idea and this is why because if you're relationally needy it means you probably don't have good solid friendships around you which means that you don't have good friendships to bring that dating relationship into to help you you know kind of build some guardrails and have a safety net and and to have other eyes kind of helping you see and understand like you know what are some red flags what are some yellow flags are we really compatible or is this is just a really 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 strong chemical attraction you can be hugely like 
physically attracted to a person that you literally have nothing else in common with. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not here to judge. But if, you're, if your goal, if your desire is to have a long-term, uh, you know, mating relationship, get married, what have you, there's, there's good and bad ways to go about it. And I don't think this building a relationship in isolation is a good idea. Also keep in mind that at some point in time, you're want, gonna wanna bring your relationship back out into the rest of your life. So this has happened to a lot of people. You start dating somebody, you really like this person, and then you start introducing them to your friends and your friends hate them. Your friends cannot stand them. So then you're in this situation where you're constantly torn between your you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, and your friend group. So one way of avoiding that is to plant the seeds of your relationship in the garden of your friendships and grow a friendship with that person before you start trying to introduce um, the physical aspect, okay? Um, number four, dating can distract young adults from their primary responsibility of preparing for the future. Now, this is where Josh Harris's patriarchy comes through. So remember back in chapter one, his first real girlfriend, Kelly, he got all upset because Kelly was taking up too much of his time. Like he, you know, he needed to go on mission trips and he needed to prepare for his future and he needed to focus on getting ready to, you know, step into whatever role in manhood, right? So Kelly was just this sort of monkey on his back that was taking up so much of his time. So he had to break up with Kelly because his relationship's taking up too much of his time. I think if you like listen carefully, you you will, this this narrative, this thread runs through most male antagonism it's always you know this it's just this relationship is too much of a distraction it's too much of a distraction you know I need to be focused on and this is why and there's nothing look there's nothing wrong with being in a relationship there's nothing wrong with being single but this is exactly what pa both Paul and Jesus were talking about when they said it's better to be single because then you can focus all of your energies and efforts into sort of your purpose right but if you're going to date, if you're going to have relationships, they take time, they take energy, they take focus. You have to invest in them. And again, this is where we have so many relational issues is we have people that, well, I want the relationship, but I don't want to have to invest anything in it. That is a lack of relational integrity. You can have the relationship, you cannot have the relationship, that's fine, but you can't have the relationship and then resent the investment that the relationship requires. That is what relationships are, okay? So his uh, point number five, dating can cause discontentment with God's gift of singleness. Okay, yes and no. Here's the thing. There was a pastor that said something that, is, that I think is really kind of deep and profound. And that is, um, he said, if you are single just for today, can you appreciate being single? Um, if you're married, then just for today, can you appreciate being married? The point here is, can we just appreciate the situation that we're in today, today? Because things change all the time. 
And I, and I deeply believe that there are so many people that are single that are just so miserable. They're so desperate to be in a relationship. They spend all of their time looking, looking, hunting, 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 desperate to be in a relationship. And then they, they finally, you know, they find someone, they get themselves in a relationship and all they want is to be single. They're miserable. <laughs> they're miserable being in a relationship. And so they're miserable the entire time they're in a relationship. So guess what? Their relationship probably ends because they're miserable. And then they're single again. And then they're miserable being single. Okay? So can we accept that that being single and being, you know, mated, however, whatever that looks like, um, dating, marriage, whatever, they both have pros. They both have cons. Can we just, can we just enjoy the perks and enjoy the benefits and trust that at some point in time it's going to change. Okay, so that's point number five. Point number six, dating can create an artificial environment for evaluating another person's character. Yes, absolutely. Okay, once again, this is where I don't think dating in isolation is a really good blueprint. I don't think it's a good plan. I am I am very in favor of this idea of plant the seeds of your relationship in the garden of your friendships, your other friendships. This is another reason why I think it's a really good idea when you meet somebody and you really like them. I think it is a very, very, very good idea to start off building a friendship first and let something, if it's going to, let something grow out of that. And again, um, communication is so important. You can tell them, look, I really like you, but I understand that if we start building and developing this physical relationship, it's going to really blind me to a lot of things that, that I just really need to sort of find out about you. And so I, I want to start off as friends, but I don't, I want you to know that I want this to, to grow and to go somewhere. But I think it's, it's just a, it's a good, smart idea for us to start off as friends. So I'd like to start off as friends. I want to spend time with you. I want to hang out with you. Um, but I think, I, you know, I want to, I want to put off like a, a physical aspect of relationship for some time. And here's another really good thing about that. You need to know if that person is capable of being uh, celibate, like for any period of time. One of the things you have to understand about marriage and long-term relationships is they're going to go through a lot of different seasons. They're going to go through grief. They're going to go through seasons of mourning. They're going to go through seasons of chaos, seasons of busyness. There, there are almost no relationships that do not go through months, if not years of celibacy. I know so many married couples that have gone two, three, four, five years with no sex. Um, I know of one specific person, because I'm related to them, they went 20 years, 20 years without having sex. And they're married. Um, so it, this this idea that, that marriage is always going to be sort of nonstop sex, it's not true. And this is uh, before you get invested in a relationship with them is a really good 
time to figure out, are you interested in me because you're interested in me? Or are you, are you just looking for someone to fill these holes and meet these needs? Are you just needy and desperate and you're just kind of looking for anybody? That's not a good place to, to, to start a relationship from. It's my personal opinion that people who do not know how to enjoy being single, and by being single, I mean being single. I don't mean I'm single, but I'm dating like six people right now, or I'm single and I'm in sort of varying stages of relationship with five, six, seven people. That's not being single. I mean, can you literally not be in any stage of a romantic relationship with anyone? If you cannot be happy, literally being single, meaning not being in a romantic relationship, uh, it's my personal opinion that you will never be able to be content in a monogamous relationship because they will go through all kinds of different phases. And what will happen is as soon as your partner uh, or your boyfriend, girlfriend is not constantly feeding into you, you're going to go look elsewhere. Um, so the last, his last point here is dating often becomes an end in and of itself. Okay. This is where honesty is so critically important and honesty with yourself more than anything else. I am of the opinion that you can't find what you want. You can't get what you want until you know what you want. And the truth is we're going to want different things at different times. There's going to be times when we don't really want to be in a relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as number one, you know that. And number two, you can be upfront and honest with other people. Almost invariably, the relationships that, that end the worst or the relationships that, that just get to be the ugliest is when there is either no communication or a miscommunication about expectations. Or when one person is completely unaware of what they really want or somewhere deep down they know, but they're, but they're working really hard to, to, to not know. There's no 100% good and bad. There's just, you need to know what your end goal is. So here, this is what happens. What I am familiar with is women who, they want to get married, they want to be in a long-term relationship, but they start dating a guy and he goes, why don't you move in? Just, just move in. It is a really, really, really bad idea um, in romantic relationships for one person to move into someone else's space. That is going to be so problematic because we are territorial. And I will tell you right now, what will happen is whether it's a guy moving into a girl space, a girl moving into a guy space or, a, you know, a guy moving into his boyfriend's space or a girl moving into her girlfriend's, either way. Any way you slice it. Bottom line is they have lived there for however long they've lived there and they have, they've settled in. They have things where they like them. They have routines that they're very used to. And when you move in, you interrupt that. So no matter how you slice it, no matter how much they like you, no matter how much they love you, it does not matter. You are interrupting their routine. It is a very, very, very bad idea for
for one person to move into someone else's space. But what happens is there's always like this, uh, well, it would be a lot cheaper if we just lived together. It would be more convenient if we just lived together. These are really bad reasons to move forward into a relationship, okay? Relationships are hard. They are hard. And so if you're starting off your relationship from the perspective of, well, this is more convenient, that is not going to go well for you. I have my own opinions about it, but I'm not going to tell people, oh, no, you shouldn't live together. I will say there are absolutely less wise and more wise ways of going about that. But I will also say this. It is very important for you to know what you want and what you're looking for. Because once again, you need to know that if you move in with someone, you are seriously diminishing your chances of getting married or getting married anytime soon. I'm not saying good, bad, you should do this, don't do that. What I am saying is it's really important to be honest about what do you want. Because if you want to be married, it is a very, very bad idea to move in with someone if what you really want is to be married. If you want to move in with somebody or if they want to move in with you, I absolutely positively 100% recommend you find a place together. And, and this is also really critical and key because in a lot of cases, your, your relationship won't last through trying to find a place together. Because moving, moving out of two different places and moving into a single, first of all, just the process of finding a place to live together is already, I can tell you right now, is hugely stressful. It's exactly why people won't, don't want to do it. But I'll tell you this right now. If your relationship cannot survive the process of trying to find a place to live together that you can both agree on, that's pretty much uh, among the least of the obstacles that most long-term relationships are going to face. So if you can't make it through that, that's a, that's a good indication that relationship was not going to go the distance. Okay? So um, those are his seven... Uh, principles of dating relationships. And I'm going to go ahead and close out there. If you have been getting any value out of these podcasts, if you find them to be useful, if you believe they contain good information, please, please, please do me a favor and share. I have such a huge heart for people that have been deeply damaged by Christianity, probably evangelical Christianity in particular, and there are millions of people that have been deeply damaged by evangelical Christianity and uh, purity culture in general. A big part of that is because we, and this includes me because I grew up in churches, we are not taught to question. We are taught to swallow everything hook, line, and sinker. And there's good parts and there's bad parts to everything that we ingest, but we have to learn how to evaluate and pick out the, the good parts, the meat, the healthy parts and throw the rest away. And there's so many people that don't know how to do that because we weren't, we were literally taught to not do that in churches. So if you find value in these podcasts, please share them. I know that there are so many 
hurting people out there. And I really, it's my hope that I have something to offer them that gives them hope. So that is my request. Please share. And I hope you will join me again next week. Thanks so much.